So we'll start with the no prayer mantra. Om Namo Aryantanam Om Namo Sitanam Om Namo Ayariyanam Om Namo Ujjayanam Namo Lume Samasahunam Heso Panchanamukaro Sauva Pava Parnasano Mangalarancha Sauvesim Paramam Havai Mangalam Paramam Havai Mangalam Okay, so um, if you are in a place where you can't read your book but you have some spare minutes, um, I sent you all a soft copy of the book and so you can look at that on your phone. You can, if you ever lose that, you can also get it at janeelibrary.org. So you can, uh, that's, um, uh, those are the people who published the book and they made a soft copy available. Hey, come on in. Uh, so before we begin, I was thinking about the questions we were discussing last week regarding anger. And I think I found the answer that some of you were talking about. One person said, how can we ever have standards if anger is caused that by the mismatch between expectations and reality? Um, so I think um, this drawing will help you. Here's a, and here's a circle. These circles are events, and the arrows are causality. Okay, so we have a mismatch between um, expectations and reality. So we see that anger is always caused by that mismatch, right? But... That doesn't mean that the mismatch always results in anger. <clears throat> Sometimes, if, if you um, have a mismatch, you can experience disappointment, right? You don't experience the anger. Or sometimes you change your behavior. That's a productive way to use your time, but instead of getting, getting angry, you change your behavior, right? And sometimes, nothing happens. Well, why should something happen all the time, right? This is the ideal state. We have a mismatch between perception, or your expectations and reality, and nothing happens, right? So that's, that's why um, you can still have standards for your, your behavior and other people's behavior, but that doesn't necessarily mean that will always lead to anger. What is always the cause of anger is the mismatch. Just because you have the mismatch doesn't mean you're going to get angry. So I think that will help um, some people as far as the questions we had last time. Um, but I have a follow-up question yeah. to that. So every time... Um, if you want to do something good or you want to change the world or whatever happens people there is some events happen which you don't like or you think that's not the correct one right and then you you feel anguished about it or maybe angered about it and then you decide to do something about it right uh -huh. unless you have that feeling you know if you say okay if something bad happens I'm not gonna do anything about it uh -huh. um, so nothing's good is gonna happen so unless you feel that anger or anguish inside you, you're not going to do something good about that or to change it, right? I mean, people change things or try to invent something or do, I mean, all these law practices, all these uh -huh. people, I mean, whatever, you understood what I want to say, right? So Yeah, definitely. So. I think that the where I would say it's wrong is that why does it have to be anger that drives those decisions? Let's say you see some injustice in the world and you want to change it, you want to take action to change it, it doesn't have to be anger that causes your action. You could just see it and say, I think it should be this way. 
and you do and you make the decision and you perform the action but what does anger have to do with it but if something happens to you uh -huh. specifically and then you see okay this thing is seriously wrong right and you the first reaction would be you feel so angry about it uh -huh. and then you think okay I need to now take out my anger in a productive way so that right rest of the world can yeah, I would benefit take, about I would it. take an extreme example sure. on this this was in my head last I, week as I, well um, the extreme example is you hear so many gunshots going around it right and if you are a victim of it obviously you'll feel anger with it right if somebody in your family goes through that right, right. so uh, in that case I mean I'm not saying that it is justified but uh -huh. it is natural that you will be angry right? it doesn't have to be though right so I mean you were asking for an example where uh -huh. it is justified so even though I mean you can control it but mm -hmm. I would say at least it is natural to have that right I mean some kind of a reaction to what has happened certainly it's natural but we can overcome that we can overcome having anger be our first reaction to a perceived injustice. So, so the one of the example I can tell you is in India, right? All our Munis uh, from Marasat, they do the Pagyatra. So they walk always from one place to another one. Yeah. Uh, and so many times it has happened that either vehicle yeah, ran into them, a something. truck in that, right? And there's an example of that. So one time this thing happened, the first thing the Muni says to the driver, go from here, otherwise public is going to beat you down, right? He's not angry, he's, he's, he's just saying this is part of my karma that hits me right now where I am. And he's just trying to save the other guy. Instead of getting angry at him, he's just saying that just run away. Um, also they use the word they, um, they showed you, right? So they move, if the person dies, yeah. right? So it's just that you're moving it from one body to another one, right? Or, or your soul is moving on. Right. So. There are so many ways that there are examples that they, they do not get angry, but they just say, this is part of my yeah. government. And the people that practice at the higher levels, they wouldn't even get angry in those extreme examples you told us. Because what would they do? Let's say their family member died and they watched it happen. They would say, well, I know that their soul is going to be reincarnated. I knew that this was a possibility. Everybody is going to die, right? That was his or her time because her Ayusha karma came up and there's nothing I could do, could have done about it. And that's why, how they would not be angry because they understand reality. And there was no mismatch between the expectation and the reality because the expectation is when your Ayusha karma um, expires, then your body dies. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, right? We are not at that level yet. So sure. That's what you understand. Right, that's yeah, why we're all here. Exactly. That's why we're here. <laughs> we all are here. Right. First step towards that. Exactly. Okay, so another, we had another great question last time. Remember, I told you um, that you are enslaved and you contribute to your own enslavement. And we had a great question, which was, why are we enslaved, yeah. right? How is that possible? Well, the answer is here in the book. And to answer that question, we're going to take a tour of the book. That's great because uh, a lot of people are unfamiliar with the book, so I think we can uh, take a tour of the book and... You can mark the sections that seem interesting to you, and then you to come back and revisit later. Okay. So, step one on the tour is who you are. Okay, that's the most basic question, who you are. And for some reason, that's all the way in chapter 14, instead of at the beginning of the book. 
So different people have different books and there's different versions. So chapter 14 is Shad Dravya, the six universal substances. And if you have this version of the book, we are on page 122. It says, Consciousness. Consciousness is the central quality of the soul. The soul has the cap capacity to experience unlimited consciousness, unlimited bliss, and unlimited energy. So that's who you are. You are unlimited bliss, unlimited consciousness, and unlimited energy. So now we know something's immediately wrong, right? Because you get tired and you get unhappy. So clearly you say, well, that's not me. So what's the problem? You get tired and unhappy because your soul is dirty. And the dirt that defiles your soul is called karma, which is in chapter 21. Specifically, page 202. The chapter is called Punya and Pap, Virtuous Karma and Non-Virtuous Karma. So, there are eight types of this dirt. Right? There are eight types of karma. So there are eight types of this dirt that uh, makes your soul dirty. And that's why you get tired and you get unhappy. So your soul gets dirty because the dirt binds to it. And that is chapter 17. <laughs> Bung. Remember, we're just answering a basic question. We started with who you are and we noticed a problem. So now we're trying to find out why do you have this problem. That's the only thing we're doing. So chapter 17 is bun, and this is why the dirt binds to your soul. Okay, so now you know that the dirt has bound to your soul. So how do we get the dirt off of our soul? That's chapter 19, Nirjara. Which for me is on page 172. Okay, so we, want, we don't want to be tired and unhappy. We want to have unlimited bliss and energy. So we have to perform nirdra, which we see is in this chapter, chapter 19. So how do we stop becoming so dirty, especially once we clean, once we clean all this dirt off of our soul? That's chapter 18, Samvara, which for me is on page 163. It's how we stop our soul from being so dirty. So what happens when we get all the dirt off of our soul? That is back to chapter 19, Moksh. For some reason, chapter 19 is Nirdra and Moksh. And that way, once we achieve Moksh, we'll, have, we'll get back to what we started with, which is who you are. Unlimited happiness, unlimited energy, and unlimited consciousness. So that's why we're here. This is a good place to stop for any comments or questions. Okay, so I have a pretty good question. My question is, well, 
we talked about, well, who we are and what the problem is and how to get rid of the problem. And we looked at chapters, you know, 17, 19, 21. So what's in the rest of this book? Why is there like, what the, what, you know, why is there so many chapters we didn't even talk about the other chapters? What on earth is in the rest of this book? Well, there's a little problem with the roadmap I gave you. And that problem is that Samar and Nirjara are hard. Like, really, really hard. Okay, um, it's a little like if you had a problem with your car and you looked up the repair and you saw there were five steps to repair the car and you said, oh, that's great, this is going to be easy, five steps. And step number one is remove the engine. Okay, that's a little like the example that I gave you. Like, just to perform step number one requires years of knowledge and experience, right? So when I tell you to perform Samvar and Nirjara, that's basically the entire rest of the book, is how to perform Samvar and Nirjara. So earlier we talked about eliminating anger from your life. Okay? That's the first baby step of performing Samvar. That's what we're here to do. That's the first step for all of us. Uh, and now you know how that fits in the big picture, why we're talking about anger. The next step is ego, the next step is deceit, and the next step is greed. But we're going to talk about the first one. And that's, it's in that order because that's the order you get rid of them. That's from easiest to hardest. So if we're just talking about the first step and some people don't eliminate anger in their entire lives, well, now you know what kind of hill we have to climb, right? Now you know how hard what we're, what we're talking about is. And there's another little piece that we glossed over. When I told you that you're a soul and your soul was dirty. What did you guys picture in your mind? Did you picture anything? How did that look to you? I always look at it as a bright uh, light right. sun and you're putting the blankets over it. Right. So you're covering that. Right. That's how I imagine. Anybody else imagine a different kind of picture? Like black spots. Okay. Or what he said. Right. Yeah, that's how most people imagine it. It's like kind of like a sphere of light, and there's like, you know, uh, something is obscuring it, right? Little pieces of, little, you imagine like dirt, right? Little pieces of dirt. Well, it's more, it would be more true if I told you, yeah, there's that ball of light, but then there's a mountain of dirt on it. That's closer to what you should be imagining, okay? A mountain of dirt, and you can't even see you know, what is inside the mountain. So that's the kind of uh, battle we have to fight, this mountain of dirt. Okay, so questions or comments on any of that? How did we get here? How did we get here? How did we get here? I mean, how did we pile up the whole mountain? I mean, So most souls started out in Nigo, uh, which is... If we look at the universe, it's at the very bottom. And the life cycles are very fast. And you, once you get out of Nigo, uh, because you eliminate certain karma, remember, sometimes karma is eliminated by itself, not because of Nirdra, because it comes to fruition, right? Nirdra is actually you cleaning the dirt off your soul. And when it comes to fruition, it's like the dirt just fell off and you didn't do anything. So when enough falls off, then we enter into this plane, which is um, 
the different the one through five sense beings, and then um, hellish beings, heavenly beings. So that's where we are now, and where we're going is moksha, which is at the top of the chain universe. And so you started from Nigoth, you're here in the middle, and you're going to go to moksha. That's the point. And then it's your actions that, um, in as we learn in Bund, it's the actions that you do that attract karma to you. Oh. We learned about time and those aras before. Yes. Is it fair to say automatically whoever is born as a human being already has that mountain on, on them? Yes. Each one of us right now has a mountain of dirt covering our soul. And the dirt is called karma. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out how to clean that dirt. Okay. So... Let's look at the table of contents. Let's go through the different chapters and you can, let's talk about the different chapters and we'll see what you're interested in and what you're not interested in. So we're going to look at how we're going to perform Samvara and Nirja because that's the rest of the book. So chapter one is an introduction. Chapter two, Panchpur Mesti, these um, tells us um, about the different types of souls. The Arihants are the souls, these are the, Panchpramesti are the souls we bow down to when, when, we, when we say the Nokar Mantra, right? Um, Arihants are souls who got themselves clean and told us how to clean that mountain of dirt. Siddhas are souls who got themselves clean. Acharyas, Upadhyas, Sadhus, and Sadvis are souls that are in various stages of progress getting themselves clean. They're in different stages of cleaning their own mountain of dirt. So chapter 3, religion, dharma, and its significance. This chapter is going to confuse you more than it will help you, so I encourage you to skip it. Which one? Chapter 3, dharma and its significance. You can look at the table of contents too. Um, the answers that chapter 3 gives appear in other places of the book. So if you skip it, you're not missing out on any information. But the problem is, it's in out of order. Um, you can't appreciate it because the, the lessons that chapter 3 gives you are kind of disjointed and talk about other things and they're out of order. The rest of the book is in order. And so if you read the rest of the book, you'll understand it better. And if you don't like the fact that I told you to skip this chapter, read the rest of the book first, then come back to this chapter. And then you'll agree with me. <laughs> So chapter 4, Moksha, Moksha Marg, the path of liberation. Chapter 4 tells us we need three things to clean this mountain of dirt. We need Samyat Darshan, Samyat Nan, and Samyat Jaritra. Proper faith, proper knowledge, and proper conduct. We need to believe that we can clean the mountain of dirt. First of all, that's proper faith. We need to know how to clean this mountain of dirt. That's proper knowledge. And we need to actually perform the actions that clean the mountain of dirt. That's proper conduct. Chapter 5. Vrats. Vrats means vows. Chapter 5 gives us five vows we can take to practice somewhere. Those vows are... Non-violence, non-lying, non-stealing, 
non-attachment, and celibacy. Now, I know what you're thinking. You might have thought that, well, this is all we need to know because everybody drills this into your head, these five vows, right? Ahimsa being the largest one, right? But I'm here to tell you this is only for summer. Okay, you read out and you started talking about Nijira yet. So a lot of people think that this is the entirety of Jainism, but it's the entirety of one of the steps of Jainism. Chapter 6. The Five Codes of Conduct. Chapter 6 relates to Chapter 4 and tells us what to do to get proper faith, what to do to get proper knowledge, and what to do to get proper conduct. Okay, chapter 4 just told us about those things. Chapter 6 tells us how, what to do to get those things. Because we don't have... Because the first step is to get proper faith, proper knowledge, and proper conduct. Then we have to do them, right? Uh, you also get... Um, it says five codes of conduct. You get two bonus things in that chapter. What to do to perform nirjara and what to do to get more energy. So, these are codes of conduct because they're telling you what to do. Uh, we had a question last time about, well, what can I do? And that's chapter 6, what you can do. Questions about that? So, the, so the biggest concept we talked about so far was Samyat Darshan, Nyan, and Charita, right? So, chapter 7 tells us how to be nonviolent. That's one of the vows of chapter 5. What people consider the most important one. Chapter 8 gives us the tools to perform samvar. Remember that samvar prevents bun, and bun is enhanced by anger, ego, deceit, and greed. So chapter 8 gives us the tools to prevent this mountain of dirt from growing. And those tools are the opposite of anger, ego, deceit, and greed. Forgiveness, humility, straightforwardness, and contentment. Chapter 9 tells you how to think. That is, what is the proper mindset for cleaning this mountain of dirt? It helps with all three. Uh, proper faith, proper knowledge, and proper conduct. Because thinking is a precursor to all three. Uh, that is, you have to think correctly to get proper faith. You have to be in the right mindset to get proper knowledge. And of course, everybody knows that you have to be in the right mindset to perform any actions. So chapter 9 is, what is that mindset and how do I think about it? Questions or comments on any of that? Because when you look at this book, it's intimidating, right? And some of it is out of order. So I want to, to, so I want to use this class to tell you how to use the book. Because nobody, the book doesn't tell you how to use the book. And it always helps to keep the bigger picture in mind, right? So the bigger picture is Samar and Nirdra and how to perform those. And you would think that if that was all that mattered, and that is all that matters, then chapter 18 and 19 would be the only chapters in the book, but 
you'll see why it's, it's such a hard job that they divided it up into all these chapters. So always think about when you're reading where you are in the bigger picture of how is this helping me perform somber or how is this helping me perform nirdra? That is, how is this helping me clean this mountain of dirt? Because I don't want to be tired and I don't want to be unhappy. Okay, so chapter 10. Chapter 10 tells you why and how to pray. Prayer is, the reason prayer is great is because prayer is performing summer and nirdra at the same time. So chapter 10 tells you how to do that. Chapter 11 tells you how to, uh, chapter 11, swadhyaya, tells you how to acquire proper knowledge to clean this mountain of dirt. So that would be, and, and the thing is, is that, that it'll never tell you that, right? If you go to chapter 11, it won't say, this is how you acquire proper knowledge. That's why you should read this chapter. It just starts, right? This is Swadhyaya. So I'm telling you why you should read the chapter. Chapter tells you, chapter 12, meditation. And reason that meditation is great is for the same reason that prayer is great. You perform Samvara and Nirdra at the same time. So it's using your time efficiently. Chapter 13 is just an introduction to chapter 14. Chapter 13 tells you that everything undergoes physical transformation. That is, everything changes. But the quality of the substances that are transformed don't change. And so chapter 13 gets you in the proper mindset for chapter 14, which, in which we talk about substances. Chapter 14 tells you that the world is made up of six substances. One of the substances is you, and one of the substances is this mountain of dirt. So that's why it's important. Chapter 14 is Shadravya. Chapter 15 is Nav Tattva. Novdatva is a way of distilling the concepts of Jainism into a list that is everything you need to know. Um, so, chapter 15, once you complete the book, chapter 15 is a shortcut to remind you of all of the concepts in a book, in a list. So, I don't know why it's chapter 15, why it's in the middle of the book, or why it's not at the end of the book, but you can think of it, it's not really a summary, it's a mnemonic uh, to help you remember the concepts of Jainism. So questions about any of that? Comments welcome too. Is Ahimsa really the most prominent one as being perceived? Ahimsa is the most important vow of the, of the, of the five minor vows that Shravaks and Shravikas take, yes. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so we are on chapter 16, Ashraf. Chapter 16 tells you what you are doing to make your soul dirty. That is, remember it's your fault 
that your soul is dirty. Hey, come on in. We're going through uh, the book today, and we're telling people how to use the book. So chapter 16 tells you what you're doing to make your soul dirty. Ashrav is the inflow of karma to your soul. Chapter 17, Bund. Chapter 17 tells you about the different types of dirt. And one of the problems is you've got to clean these different types of dirt in different ways. Because they're different types of dirt, and you've got to do different things to clean the different types of dirt. So you've got eight types of dirt, and you've got multiple ways to clean each one of them. Chapter 18, Samvar, tells you how to stop what you're doing to make your soul dirty. I mean, the easy answer is to stop doing anything. But unfortunately, we can't. So, chapter 16 will help you out with that. Something is, uh, yes. Expectation is uh, the center of all, can we say it's the center of, it's the main cause for one uh, expectation because last time when we discussed about stories, right, we, right. we expect something. So now when we do Jain Upwas or Parva or anything, we, we expect that okay we do this so we will get a moksha or we will get a good life so we expect something is it good to do that you should expect that if you perform nirdra with the expectation that you want to achieve moksha you should that you should do that and that is good but then if you don't get it then there is a mismatch there um, well not if you understand reality which is if you understand what you're doing is worth it and, and that it's not a, a project for a single lifetime. Sure, uh, when you perf if you devote your life to performing Nirdra and Samvar, there is a possibility that you might not achieve moksha in this life. But you're doing so much to clean this mountain of dirt, and you understand that because you have the correct perception of reality. And you won't get angry if you don't achieve moksha in this life. So I'm sorry I misspoke earlier. That was chapter 18. I said chapter 16. That summer is chapter 18. Chapter 19 tells you is Nirdra and Moksha. So it tells you how to clean this mountain of dirt that's around your soul and what happens when you finally get it clean. Chapter 20, The Theory of Karma is a summary and a refinement of chapters 13 and 19. So you'll see that some of the information is repeated in different ways to help you think about it. And I think that's great because sometimes if I explain to you the same thing, but using different words, you'll get it. So that's what chapter 20 is. Um, and that's what chapter 15 is when I said it was a list. It's just a list of other concepts. Chapter 20 is just a summary of chapters 13 through 19, the theory of karma. Chapter 21, Buddha and Pap. This tells you more about the dirt. This dirt is this mountain of dirt is one of the most important things in your life. So we're going to talk a lot about it. So chapter 1 and 21 um, tells you more about the characteristics of the dirt, the eight different types of dirt that you will be intimately familiar with when you start cleaning it. Okay, chapter 22, Six Fundamental Truths. 
This goes all the way back to Samyat Darshan, or proper faith. These are the six premises from which all the corollaries of Jainism flow. That is, if you believe these six premises, the rest of the book is inferences. And so that relates to proper faith, right? Because it's, they require belief. Chapter 23 is the 14 Gunastanaks. This tells you how far along you are in cleaning up this mountain of dirt and the signposts that you see along the way. So good thing we don't have to toil for nothing without knowing if we're going in the right direction. We will know that we're going in the right direction because there are 14 stages. And once we start to recognize which stage we're at, that's going to make us feel really great. So they're the 14 signposts that you'll see as you start cleaning this mountain of dirt. Questions about that or comments about that? I have a comment yes. on, on um, happiness, on expectations. Right. One of the questions you asked earlier. So yesterday I attended a, a presentation where a cardiologist with 27 years of experience was talking about how um, basically it's a, it's a book written by a Google uh, executive uh, who is a motivational speaker now, Equation of Happiness equals, uh, it's a happiness, your expectation, it's what you get minus your expectation. Right. So the lower the expectation, higher the happiness is. Right. And uh, uh, it just made me think of it. And it was, <laughs> it was so amazing. This, this guy was a cardiologist with 27 years of experience. He was talking about how meditation, uh, he talked about this happiness and how meditation scientifically helps you to, uh, to control you, uh, to help you fight uh, the cardiology problems or oh, okay. heart, heart disease and things like that. Oh, awesome. And, uh, and right before that, there was a cancer doctor who was talking about how fasting helps kill cancer cells. And uh, so it was, again, it was uh, kind of off topic, but two, two interesting points that they mentioned. And in fact, there's a Japanese study uh, on the fasting, and there was uh, a Nobel Prize for, uh, for the scientist uh, of, of, of Japan. Uh, for studying the fasting and its relation to, to, to killing the, the cancer cells. Oh, great. Yeah, I, I found the study. I'll send it to everybody. Sure. I haven't read it enough yet, but it was, was very interesting. So we just talked about the 14 signposts. And I actually know the reason why this is here is because that's the end. Um, I want you to draw a line. If you don't want to draw in your book, that's fine. Or do a mental line between chapters 23 and chapters 24. So everything, chapter 23 and prior, you can think of like college, okay? And then after chapter 24, you can think of graduate school. That is, chapters 24 through 26 um, uh, tell you about samyak nan, or proper knowledge. They discuss logic and causality, and they make a lot of inferences based on the basic principles that you learned before. So I talked about, well, if you believe the six premises, then um, the rest of the concepts are corollaries. Now I'm going to say, well, if chapters 1 through 23 are the premises, then chapters 24 through 26 are the corollaries. They're all the advanced inferences you can make um, uh, when you start to learn all these things.
And so if you if you think you know all about you know karma and all that, then I encourage you to read chapters twenty four through twenty six. And in the new in the new book, they're different. What is it in the old book? Chapters twenty four are Anikanthad one, two, and three. Yeah, is that right? Okay. And for anybody with the old book, I I think you should have a copy of the new book because there's a lot there's a lot that's different. And then I think he took a lot of feedback when compiling this book. Um, so I think we have enough. So I can. Does anybody have the old book? I have. You have the old book. Okay. Let's get you. Um, if you want, you can return those to me, and I can give you new books. Um, so Anikanfad, the theory of multiplicity, uh, one, two, and three. So you can see that it's advanced because we need three chapters to talk about this. <laughs> Chapter twenty-seven tells you the history of Jainism on Earth and evidence of some of the historical figures of Jainism. So if you're really interested in, well, what is the proof, you know? Like, what is the proof that these things are here, that these people were here? Uh, that's chapter 27. I know that'll interest a lot of you. It interested me. Chapter 28 gives you metadata about the Jain scriptures written in the past. What I mean by that is, we don't have a lot of those scriptures because those were lost, but these will tell you whatever we know about them. For example, how many were they in? How many chapters were they in? Where were they found? And why were they lost? And who wrote them? And things like that. So, um, if you don't know, uh, Mahavir Swami was a Tirthankar, which means he achieved, uh, he got rid of all his karma while he was a human. And he was one of the additional special souls that told us the truth about reality. And that truth we call Jainism now. And that truth was... Uh, written down at some point after he died and then we lost those scriptures and so everything that we are talking about that we have ever been talking about and everything that is in this book all came from one man my soul. so questions or comments about any of that I have a comment. Uh, yes. When, when I go through all these chapters, actually, uh, if, if you have to correlate to the Jainism book, it is the Pachis Bowl. I don't know if, if anyone of us have uh, read that because I know my sons are studying that now. Uh -huh. And when, for example, uh, 14 Gunastana, right? uh -huh. so they, they are memorizing them. Right. So uh, I can relate, and when I read these names, it rings a bell. So if somebody wants to go back to the original, this is good in terms of uh, English, uh, this thing, but right. actual sources, I think Pachisbo, a lot of the topics that we see here in this book are from Pachisbo. Right. So just for information. And so a lot of people don't like the fact that this information has been handed down so many times. We talked about telephone last time, right? It's been handed down so many times in so many different ways. And now what we're looking at is a translation. And we all know how imperfect translations can be, right? So then they start questioning like, well, you know, why should I believe something that came through a telephone from prehistory all the way down here when all those people inserted whatever they wanted into the game of telephone and whatever agenda they have? So why should I believe it? Well, what I would tell you is that if we get rid of anger, ego, deceit, and greed, 
your life will be better, okay? And we're just talking about anger at first. So even if you don't believe any of this thing, okay? Even if you hang this all, I don't, you know, I don't believe it. You Let's say you go to chapter 27 and you're like, and it tells you about, oh, this Tirtankar was 80 feet tall and he was a human. And there were trees that gave you everything you needed at some point in life. And you're like, I just don't believe it. You know, I don't, I don't believe that that's possible. Well, close the book and let's talk about getting rid of anger, ego, deceit, and greed in your life. And we can all agree that that would be a good thing, right? So I think that that's the reason that we should keep coming back to this class and keep getting together. Because we want to talk about how to make our lives better. And if you don't believe of any of the concepts and ideas in this book, I still want us to get together and talk about how to make our lives better. So not a question, but related topic. Sure. So you said not about believing something, right? Uh, in terms of, like this is about Jainism, right? We are talking about, uh, now every religion has their own scriptures and or their own ideologies about why their religion is the best, right? Or right. at least whatever the guidelines and rules what they have set for mm -hmm. themselves, right? So the I think the conflict comes in where, like in one religion it is written like this versus mm -hmm. the other religion it is written like this, and mm -hmm. obviously people want to always be uh, kind of following their religion, or, and they say that their religion is always correct, and right. most of the conflicts in the world are about that. So right. how, I mean, then what is right and what is wrong is. How do you justify that? And then uh, you, start, you spoke about believing. I don't want to hurt the other person that what they are believing in right. and versus what we are believing in. But right. there will be some kind of conflict because in my religion, this is what it is written down that I should not eat after sunset. Right. Right. Versus in Muslim religion, it is written that you should only eat after sunset. Correct. So, I mean, you see, right? There will be so many conflicts right, mm -hmm. based on that. So, uh, how do you or do you say, properly answer that situation, mm -hmm. and then... I mean, what is right? Right, what is right, right? So, and then navigating, and how do you kind of ultimately believe in what you believe in, mm -hmm. what is right? So, you asked a very complex question, and I'll give you a couple of answers from different ways. First of all, um, I want you to test the religion. You can test it. I have tested it myself, and I found it to be true. You can test karma theory. You can test. Uh, so I want you to test the things you see in the book. And then you will come to believe whether it's true or not, first of all. Second of all, Jainism is a very selfish religion. We're talking about ourselves. And we're talking about the um, attaining unlimited energy, unlimited happiness, and unlimited consciousness for our own soul. Okay? So at some level, it doesn't matter what other people believe. Okay? Because we're interested in ourselves. Okay? Um, and so we're interested in the things that we can do to make to, to uncover this, to clean this mountain of dirt from our soul. So on some level, it doesn't matter. On another level, we are in the world and we interact with different people. And if I say, this is the truth. And that conflicts with that person and what that person says is the truth. The first thing you tell yourself is, 
Who cares? Okay? I don't have any reason to try to convince that person that this is the truth. The only person I have to convince is myself. Okay? And he can say or do whatever he wants. But I've tested it and I have thought about it and I have come to the determination that this is the correct picture of reality. Okay? So it's a different, it's a different, um, there's no reason for me to try to convince that person. But let's say I'm talking to him and I tell him that, that it's the truth and it offends him. Okay? And he's going to strike me. I can say, okay, I'm sorry, that's what I believe. Okay? I'm happy to be tolerant of your religion. And if you want to eat after sunset, that's your choice, and I understand that. That is uh, chapters Anikantva, chapters 24 through 26. You'll find that answer there. Um, and you'll find that answer because if you see you talk Naya, partial points of view, page 219. This, what's in this book is the truth. But it's hard to... I'll tell it to you like this. We all have our senses, right? Your eyes are a camera, right? It sees in a certain um, frames per second, and it sees a certain <coughs> wavelength of light, right? We know that there are things that we cannot see. Infrared and ultraviolet, okay? It turns out your eyes are not a very good camera. The world is filled with things you can't see. Okay, you know our ears. There's a certain wavelength. We know that dogs can hear frequencies that we can't hear. There are amazing sounds that we will never hear. But does that mean when I look at something and I see it's a color, that that's not the truth? No, it doesn't. That's the truth. But there are so many other colors out there that it's insignificant. There are so many other frequencies out there that what I'm hearing is almost insignificant. It's a drop in the bucket compared to the reality of existence, right? Now, let's say somebody could see better and hear different things than we could. And he said, this is the truth. And we said, no, that's not the truth. I can't see it. I can't hear it. This is the truth. Well, now you have two things that are true, right? Different things that are true, right? And so that's what these chapters talk about. How multiple things that seem conflicted can be true at the same time. Such as your beliefs and the beliefs of another religion. The way I look at it, I mean, if I... First of all, there's a commonality between those two, right? The example you give, Muslim religion, right? They eat at night, but it's, it, they don't eat for 12 to 24 hours. Whatever the time it is. Yeah. Same thing for us, right? Sunset to sunrise. One picked the daytime, one picked the nighttime. That's one way. If one works, for somebody it works, one way they can pick the other. I mean... Uh, the way I think about it, it's another writing a, uh, like a code, right? I mean, there are multiple languages you can write the code in. The, the end point is saying uh, that you can achieve is, in this case, it's religion. Let's say you have a, uh, you're going to a university to get moksha, and there are five different ways, five different universities to teach. You pick one, or we pick one, which we like, and we happen to be in the journalism. And this kind of apparently ha happens by birth, or how, however it happens for us. But if you had a choice, I mean, it's a different option, different, uh, and we we picked one, or pick one is picked for us. Uh, but then, yeah. at the end of the day, if hopefully all the religions have common goal of moksha or some sort of uh, religious upliftment. 
I think two comments from uh -huh. your. Yeah. So one thing you said was about test it and then absolutely see, understand it. What's the reality? Yeah. So I think if you talk to a person from other religion, they will also say the same thing. You, we have tested it, and we think our religion is also sure. Kind of thing. Yeah. So as you said about being true at the same time, that might answer that question, right? Uh, the second thing is about being selfish, uh, which is where I think I defer from that point of view. Okay. Where, uh, to be selfish, is it because you are talking about ruining anger, ego, deceit, and what is the fourth one? Greed. Greed, right? So being selfish, it's kind of being greedy as well, right? At the same time, uh, like you're greedy for yourself, yeah, right? I, I think selfish, he, the word he used just to explain. I don't think he meant selfish. How about selfish individualistic? Yeah. It's a very individualistic yeah, language. Which is where, where I tend to differ as well. Okay. Where, I mean, if you are individualistic, uh, humanity, doesn't it come first in all the religions? Or, I mean, that's, that's the question, essentially, that you don't have to take care of the individual first before uh, others as well, keeping into perspective before looking for yourself. Like, but, but consider an example, uh, army people right mm -hmm. so they are in army now they are protecting the nation versus looking at their lives own right so mm -hmm. aren't they uh, right in their that ways that they are doing right thing for all of us right right i mean i'm talking about being individualistic right that's the point i'm trying to make that i tend to differ from that perspective i'll tell you something if you make a donation to a charity mm -hmm. because it makes you feel good is it wrong? No. No. So if you try to do all these things because you're worried about the path of your soul and you want to not be tired and not be unhappy, is it wrong? No. So it's not wrong? Just to add that there is a phrase, right? Charity starts at home. So begins at home. So Maybe selfish was the wrong word. Yeah, in Jainism, in Jainism, we're worried about our own soul. Okay, we're we understand that everybody has a different soul, but there is very little I can do. But is that correct? That's the question. I think if you address the four principles that he's talking about, it will automatically help you uplift your soul and also life of others around you, right? Yeah, because yeah. greed, right? For example, when you try to, which is the last step. But if you try to get away from that, automatically you are helping your soul and also others. Because now you are not greed about taking everything around, but you are mainly like, it belongs to everyone, right? I came in, it's just soul that mm -hmm. goes from one point to other. It's just body that we are living in, right? So that is basically the concept of Jainism. So I think selfish word, it kind of triggered everyone <laughs> thinking in different direction. But at the end of the day, when we achieve those four basic uh, goals of our life, we are doing good for ourselves and others around us, right? With anger, we are not hurting anyone, right? Mm -hmm. So others get impacted positively as well. Same thing with greed and all others, all four principles, we see, right? Yeah. We are not doing that and that has positive effect on others. So I think when we address the cleanliness of our soul, it automatically has positive impact to people around. So, yeah, this, uh, I think that's how I take it. Uh, it's not uh, just look at yourself, but while doing that in that process, you automatically 
affect positively people around you. You don't get anger, your son is in much better mood when he's going to school, right? I mean, just a small thing. Mm -hmm. like that. I think That's that, how I look at it. I think that uh, you said it better than I ever could. So concept of Jainism, right, uh, is I believe going back to these four principles, it helps. The reason is, if you see Jainism is evolving, right? When you were child and with your grandparents and you used to go to Munis and Acharyas, what you have seen, they don't use electricity, they don't use phone. Now when you go, they use that, right? So you see that contradiction right in front of you. You think, is it the Jain concept? No. Why? So, and then at the same time, you think we, you being in the US, our Moonies and uh, Acharyas, they generally don't travel. That's why we don't have Acharyas here for our Samasari Pratikraman also. So someone recorded that or someone doing that, it helps at least bringing the community together. So two perspective, right? But going back to these four principles helps you because these are byproducts of, of, of uh, uh, then you call that Jain concept, no, but these four principles helps you to stick to a co common goal if, if, I, if I can if I can say yeah uh, on, the, on the same note imagine that there is a million or hundred thousand sadhus and sadhus right in India they are using maybe they're using some electricity and things like that but they're using sparingly mm -hmm. right water they minim they use minimum water minimum clothes minimum uh, everything that automatically is available for others they, I mean, when we try to do, I mean, now that's for the human being, now the others, right? I mean, Ahinsa. For example, if we try to see an ant, and if you don't hurt an ant, I mean, it's your, your own progress, but you're not hurting anybody to do anything. So it, it just ends up being a good for, for its uh, community. Now, I think the perspective that I, I understood from, uh, from that is our own journey towards moksha. So it's an individual journey toward moksha, and at the same time, as you're doing it, as you're trying to minimize your requirement and, and minimum, minimum things, we end up happening. I mean, we might not do a, I know, a million dollar charity uh, as you go and do it because you're trying to minimize your own wealth. Uh, whatever you have, you're given up. So you might not do it. At that point, it becomes, from that perspective, becomes uh, your individual. But you have already tried not to get a million dollar from somebody else. So that, in, in a way, it works out a good thing for your community as well. That's all I have for you. Thanks, everybody, for coming today. Thank you. Thank you.